Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. A warmer for the low. Welcome to Love You Las Vegas for Jessica Soups with myself, Greg Hughes Peters, and now part of the Beast and Family Podcast. We've got a great podcast for you as in segment number two, we're going to be joined by one of our good friends, Tristan Freeman over at Bus and Brackets. We're going to be chatting with him about what we all saw over the weekend with regards to a lot of these rivalry matchups and how teams coming off of those rivalry matchups are going to fare coming off of just emotional either letdowns or highs, because I do think that that is a topic of interest this week. We're also going to be taking a look at the ACC as he does a great job following the Pittsburgh Panthers and so many others out there in the great state of Pennsylvania. And we'll take a look at a few games for Tuesday as well as Duke and North Carolina, the way that those two teams have been trending in the final segment. Going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at unit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters M. Naming does not matter as per usual. Please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find that five-star review. Not get in any Twitter questions today. And frankly, it was not a big slate of college basketball on Monday. So the recap is going to be a little bit shorter. There's going to be a few games I won't be able to give as much on just because of Greg Peterson experience. Now from midnight to 3 Eastern time. So I need to record this a little bit before them. But let's take a look at what we got on a short slate from Monday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these seems a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Biggest takeaway was really the Duke-Miami game. Duke got completely romped, and I know that Tristan is going to have some thoughts on this game as well. 81-59 to the final. Miami came out and just completely decimated Duke, who scored 10 points in the first 13 minutes in this one. Derek Lively's begun to look a little bit better for Duke. He was able to come in, give the team 11 points off the bench, but for Duke, they go 5-19 from three-point range. They turned the ball over 21 times on 22 made buckets. And for Miami, a team has not necessarily been the world's greatest on defense. They were able to force all those, winning the rebound battle 38-31. to You had no Chad Omir, 17 points, 10 rebounds down low. Justin Miller was able to chip in there, 16 points. And, I mean, for Miami, I recognize he had six assists and five rebounds, but they did all of this with Nigel Peck giving them just five points. So that was less than savory. Hartford has just continued to be a fade all season long. UMass Lowell completely drubbed them 70-48 to in a random non-conference game. So there was that. And then you did see Idaho State go on the road. They were able to knock off Northern Arizona by a count of 75-70. to 
Northern Arizona has been a pretty big fader Rooney as well as they induced five turnovers of Idaho State in 40 minutes. And then in the makeup game, you saw Tarleton State take down UT Arlington 69-64. UT Arlington team has begun to play some overs, but they have exceeded 68 points just twice this season, and they went 7 of 23 from 3. They did have Chandel Weaver actually go 4 of 5 from 3, which means that everyone else on the team went 3 of 18 from distance. And for Tarleton State, they've got their top scorer, Freddie Hicks, back to fold. He had 22 points in this one. I am having to do this with the game pretty much going to halftime. Kansas up on Texas by a count of 42-32. to 32. My DK Nation pick was on Kansas, laying the small number thus far from what we've been able to gather. Texas has just been turning the ball over way too much, losing the turnover battle by a count of 10-3 to 3 for Kansas. Grady Dick has chipped in their 11 points, and Kansas just 1 of 6 from 3, and yet up by 10. Texas has won 2 of 10 from the outside. It's been a lot of driving. It's been a lot of offensive rebounds with Kansas winning the offensive rebound battle by a count of 8-4. to four. So that has been a little bit less than savory for a Texas team that would be able to really put themselves a good footing with a win in this one. Texas Southern, who has been one of the bigger money-burning teams at all of college basketball thus far this season, I believe that there's something like 6-16 six against the spread. Currently up on Bethune-Cookman, 36-28. We shall see what happens on that one. And UW-Milwaukee. Got a very unexpected scare from UW-Green Bay. That's about a 16 to a 17 point favorite. It was UW-Green Bay who was able to really give them a much bigger test than what was expected. UW-Green Bay able to go bombs away from three-point range to be able to hold in there. And that is a little bit of a theme that we're seeing right now in college basketball. What we are seeing is a whole bunch of overs. If you take a look at the college basketball season to date, you just don't find this very often in leagues. Right now, you've got 51.2% of college basketball games going over the total 2,056 overs to 1,959 unders. Home underdogs have begun to dry up a little bit as well. 600, 549, and 23 against the spread. If you take a look at the last 30 days in college basketball, that number is 220, 238, and 15 against the spread. Home underdogs hitting at a paltry 48% over the last 30 days. And in the last 30 days, overs are hitting at 54.4%. 759 and 637. I can assure you that there will be a little bit of market correction and these totals are going to be shaded upward. That is not a promise, that is a guarantee. And if you take a look at the last seven days of college basketball, 172 overs to 154 unders, that is 52.8% to the over and home underdogs, 60, 63, and 1 against the spread in that time span with favorites hitting at 53%. So that's what we're seeing in college basketball right now, and that's what we all got on Monday. Now coming up next, we talk to our good friend Tristan Freeman about the ACC landscape. We take a look at some of the results that we saw over the weekend that were very intriguing. How some of these scenes that played emotional rivalry games over the weekend are going to bounce back and so much more. Next here on Coast to Coast with myself, David Peterson, now a part of the Houston Family Podcast. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 join us march 20th live from the edge at hudson yards in new york city featuring an unforgettable performance by grammy and academy award-winning singer songwriter and composer john batiste the all-new infinity qx80 is unlike any luxury suv you've ever seen smart enough to anticipate your needs even before you do 
Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, Demarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even posted to my my (laughs) Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, Demarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> Bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> Bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even posted to That's my That's my Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. 
and we're back here lovely Las Vegas for Coach Cut Soups with myself, Greg Eubes Peters, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and it is always great to be joined by this guest. We've got Tristan Freeman aboard. He does amazing work taking a look at college basketball over at Bus and Brackets. That is fan site. It's College Basketball Hub, essentially, and is out in the state of Pennsylvania. More specifically, it's Pittsburgh taking a look at just everything college basketball over there with the Pittsburgh Panthers, Duquesne Dukes. Hey, Robert Morris has been playing a little bit better as well, and Tristan does a great job on that front and so much more. I know that he does some great work with the ACC as well. You're able to follow him on Twitter at Hoopsun351 altogether. And Tristan, it's always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me right now. Doing better than Duke so far in this game. <laughs> yep, and you mentioned it. We're right now recording this as Duke is down double figures with Miami. We don't know how this game shakes out. They could very well be able to come back and be able to get the job done. But what do you make just out of these teams bouncing back from big rivalry spots? Like, we're going to be seeing it with Indiana and Purdue the next few days after they had their big rivalry. No doubt North Carolina is probably going to be having to overcome a little bit of the sting of that loss that they took to Duke as well as they're going to be playing on Tuesday. Do you think that there is something to just those big rivalry matchups that we did see from so many teams of the ACC and beyond having to try to get up off the mat and trying to play in their next game and perhaps coming out a little bit flat if they did have a big rivalry matchup? Yeah, I I think that's certainly possible in most cases. But I think in this case in particular, I think Miami's just a better team. And they're at home, so they're just naturally going to come out well. And, and they're coming off a, a hard-fought win against Clemson. So they could have had their own letdown situation too, but they, they've been looking good. And Duke, especially away from home, they, they, they're a flawed team. Their, their point guard situation has just never been stable. I mean, Jeremy Roach had two 20-point games last week, but as far as the ball movement, that's always been an issue. And the week Whitehead's still out. They're, they're, they're missing scoring, and that's what's happening so far in, in this game, still with 10 points in 13 minutes played. Yeah, not great to say the least with Duke. And I take a look at this Duke squad, and I do think that they have upside if they're able to figure it out. But with Duke, the defense has honestly been fine, but it's the offense that has been having all sorts of issues this year. And do you think that there is a possibility of Duke or North Carolina being able to make a little bit of a run in March because we're going to be seeing North Carolina on display against Wake Forest on Tuesday. I think that that is going to be a little bit of a tricky spot for them. But with North Carolina, we've honestly been seeing them really have some letdowns on the offensive side of things as well with their outside shooting, not being what it was towards back half of 2021-22 as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean the, the the opinion of you know potential versus the consistent or in this case lack of consistent results is affecting them. I think with Duke, you know, I don't know Jeremy Roach is a good enough floor general to to have them win games in March. They're capable of beating anyone, but but the key in March is can you go on a sustained run and not have to rely on luck so much. I think North Carolina had a lot of luck last year and and this year. Their their offense has regressed, and you can't you can't point it at you know Brady Mance is that much better than uh, Brady Mance that that much better than Pete Nance to, to affect them. I think the guards are just it's just ultimately hit or miss when they're on they're capable of beating anyone when they're not 
and you and teams are starting to find ways to stop Baycott and prevent him from you know producing much, then they're going to be vulnerable and they're they're quietly on the bubble without really any victory. So forget about making a run. I think North Carolina got to make sure they're even in the dance to begin with. And if they lose to Clemson, now all of a sudden we're really going to have a conversation. Yeah, with North Carolina, their wins over Ohio State and Michigan, they just have not aged as well as you would like them to, as the Big Ten has been having their issues as well as joining me on the podcast. We do have Tristan Freeman, who does amazing work over there at Bus and Brackets, and I do think that it's going to be interesting to see what we get out of the ACC, both on Tuesday, because I mentioned it, we're going to be seeing North Carolina versus Wake Forest and moving forward as well. And this is a game that I did not think was going to be a heavy hitter coming into the season, but NC State and Virginia is massive for this conference. you got a Virginia bunch that is currently a half a game out of first place. NC State is just one game out of first place. And with Pittsburgh playing against Louisville, you cover Pittsburgh. You know this as well as I do. A loss for Pittsburgh would be pretty cataclysmically bad. It makes things very, very fascinating. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on this Virginia versus NC State game because it's a pair of teams that they play at a different tempo. But for NC State and Virginia, I don't think that they're necessarily incredibly dissimilar in the way that their roster is actually built in terms of players themselves. Yeah, and NC State has really flown under the radar. They're they're a team that hasn't had the headlines like Clemson or Pittsburgh, and they also didn't have the preseason hype like UVA, Duke, North Carolina, but they're they're truly in the mix. And Tracavian Smith has been just as good as we all expected. I, I think he'll have his, you know, off shooting nights, but he's found a way to be de- effective, more importantly, on both ends of the court. Uh Jarkel Joyner to transfer from the AAC, I mean, has been fantastic. And DJ Burns, the former Big South, Big South player of the year, has just simply been a, a, an upgrade over Manny Bates, even a healthy version of Manny Bates. And so I, I think this is a, a true statement game for the Wolfpack. If they win this one, we're going to have to seriously start considering them as ACC title contenders as well. Yep, I'm right there with you. And I've been very impressed by this NC State backboard. And I did mention it as well. In terms of just seating in the ACC, it is going to be big for Pittsburgh to just avoid the landmine of Louisville. A Louisville team that I think you'd agree with me. They played a little bit better recently. It's still a sorry Louisville team, but you know what? They've been able to get a little bit out of Mikey James, be able to help out that backcourt just a hair. But what have you been seeing, more importantly, from this Pittsburgh team thus far this season? Because there were such low expectations for them coming into the year. I did feel like they had some pieces that could be able to blossom, but it's been relatively incredible to take a look at it because if you thought that Pittsburgh was going to be rising up the standings, you were figuring it was going to be because John Hughley was owning things down low. That has not been the case. And as a matter of fact, John Hughley's out for the year. Yeah, I mean, Federico Federico was originally a West Virginia committed parted ways in favor of other transfers. The expectation for him was that he might get spot minutes behind Hughley and the Diaz-Graham twins. Instead, he's averaging 30 minutes a game, and he's making a quiet case for all ACC defensive team. Now, he's certainly not going to win it over Derek Lively at Duke, but he's been fantastic on the interior. And when you have him along with four veteran shooters surrounding him with with Jamari Spurton stepping up to an all-ACC player caliber Blake Kinson being one of the best transfer this offseason, and Nellie Cummins sort of solidified the point guard position. Pitt's been 
Pitts had everything you need of them, and there's been a little bit of luck. They they've had a num a number of one possession wins, but for them to even be in these games, pretty much all of them in, in ACC play is a testament to the, uh, Coach Capel's ability this year, and as well as you know what happens when you have four fifth and sixth year senior guards to to help run the offense. Yeah, it's been rather incredible to take a look at them all season long as joining me on the podcast. We do have our good friend Tristan Freeman over there at Bustin' Brackets, and I did mention it. It's a little bit tough for some of these teams to bounce back from big rivalry spots. And for North Carolina, do you think that they could have a little bit of a tough time with Wake Forest going on the road on Tuesday? Where I sit here in Vegas, North Carolina is about a one-point favorite. I made Wake Forest the very slightest of slight favorites because with North Carolina – while their defense has honestly been a little bit better recently. That is something that is going under the radar. 70 points of fear surrendered by them each other last five games. The outside shooting has not been there, and it's just a Wake Forest team that the defense has had its issues, but I really do like the way that they play in the backcourt, and they've got some guys that are just able to bomb it from three. Yeah, Wake Forest, you know, they should be in the mix when it comes to at-large uh potential but another poor non-conference schedule and the lack of big wins that hurt them but they're 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 truly a spoiler they can beat anyone in this league they, they almost beat Pittsburgh and Duke uh in the past week so so they're very much capable I, I'm I'm interested to see what's going to happen uh with the Tar Heels because they're now on the road and you know I think everyone considering that there are similarities last year when their backs were against the wall and they made the epic run to make the tournament and go on the run. But it's like this this team, they, they doesn't seem to have it. Their backs should have been against the wall when they went from number one to unranked in the month of the year. And they've just been treading water since. They're talented enough, obviously, to beat anyone. But I don't think anyone's afraid of them. And when those shots from those guards are not falling, they they're, they can absolutely lose. And I'm not sure they're going to be able to handle Tyree Appleby. He can, he can very well go for 30 and be the best guard in the game tomorrow. I do think so as well. I think that Tyree Appleby, he's going to be eating good in the neighborhood, to say the least. And I like the way that Cameron Hildreth as they will come live for that team as well. And then there's another team as coming off of a tough rivalry matchup that I think is intriguing in Indiana as they're going to be playing us to Rutgers. What I think is interesting about Rutgers is that they're allowing more than 25 points per 100 possessions when they're on the road rather than when they are at home. So that is something that does give me a little bit of pause. But do you think that this could be a little bit of a tricky spot for Indiana? Because I don't think that this is necessarily the world's greatest matchup for Indiana, but I was just alluding to it. Teams coming off of these big rivalry matchups, typically I do find that next game to be a little bit of a flat spot. And having to go up against a team like Rutgers, I think is a less than ideal matchup coming off of a big emotional win like they had on Saturday. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll see early on what happens in the game if Indiana is in the right mindset or not. Because if, if they're not, they can only score 10 points in the first 15 minutes in the game against Rutgers. That defense is suffocating. Uh, but ultimately, I think in the Big 12, outside of uh, Nebraska and Minnesota, I think all of them could pretty much just beat up on each other. So nothing would surprise me in any way in the Big 10. But this is a, a, a pivotal matchup for both teams because a, as jumbled as the standings are, they're two teams that probably have the best chance to finish 
second in the conference. And and that and obviously with the top four by in play as well, it, this is going this is going to be a big game. Both of these teams are are safely in the tournament, so that's not an issue. But you know, to, if you one of them loses this game and then loses you know another one. They can go from second to all the way to ninth in the standings. So it, it, this and the rest of them is always going to be important for each of these teams in the Big Ten outside of Purdue, who I think we can safely say is going to be the one seed. Yeah, with Purdue, even though they lost the game on Saturday, it's been a very impressive year for them. I'm in total agreement with you that they should be the number one team in the conference in a conference that has just been all over the place. As joining me on the podcast we do have Tristan Freeman of Bus and Brackets. And out of all the teams in the Big Ten, who have been the biggest surprises to you in terms of positive and the negative? Because they just alluded to it a little bit earlier. For North Carolina, you mentioned the fact that they're not safely in the tournament. And I think that that's tied directly to the fact that their wins over Michigan and Ohio State, they just keep going down, down, down. Wisconsin has been just completely horrible. If you're out here in Las Vegas, they've went 1-11 against the spread in their last 12 after very nearly knocking off Kansas in Thanksgiving. I mean, boy, things have really spiraled downhill from there. But what team out of the Big Ten has been the biggest surprise to you? Because I would say out of all of them, I just had a little bit of higher expectations for this Ohio State team. And, man, they just can't seem to get right. Yeah, I, I mean, in the first month of the year, when they were ranked, their best player w- was Zed Key. As soon as Bryce Sensabaugh took over and was starting averaging 18 a game, they've literally tanked. And, and and I don't know what's up with that. I don't know what what the problem with that is. I think a lack of consistent guard play ha- has hurt them because the offense just looks disjointed all the time. And it's basically a, a Sensabaugh iso play or nothing. That that's certainly been been a shock to me, and you know I think as far as surprises goes, I think Northwestern was supposed to be the team that was going to be next to whoever wasn't last in the standings. You, you lose Ryan Young, you lose Pete Nance, and yet the front court's been better. I mean, you look at Robbie uh, Barron and, and Nicholson and Verdomen. Obviously, the guards Bowie and Audisia have been playing fantastic, but the front court defensively has just been been a huge problem for the rest of the league. And, and I think, you know, for a coach that was certainly on a hot seat in Chris Collins, I, I think you have to make him the runner-up for coach of the year because obviously it's going to be Matt Painters to lose. But the Wildcats have been awesome, and they're only a game behind second place in the standings as well, and they're projected to be in the field as we speak. Yep, they are. And for Northwestern, it was a big win that they were able to get over a Wisconsin team that, I mean, you give Northwestern credit, but boy, that Wisconsin team has went straight down the toilet bowl after it looked like they were going to be so promising after they very nearly knocked off Kansas. So it has been fascinating to take a look at those teams, to say the least. And Tristan, we did have a very rambunctious weekend of college basketball. Obviously, the Monday slate wasn't necessarily as big, to say the least, but out of the results that we saw over the weekend, which one or maybe two or three do you feel like were the most significant? Because I still just take a look at the way that St. Mary's was able to overcome that deficit against Gonzaga, and I think that that's a big statement, not just out in that conference, not just for this St. Mary's Gales bunch, but just reassuring the fact that with this Gonzaga team, they just aren't the team that we were expecting them to be coming into the year. 
No, and, and I think it, it, it's clear that the, the Bulldogs are, aren't going to be a clear-cut Final Four contender. But I also think that we should be careful of assuming that they're just going to be a team that falls off because they're still the number one scoring offense in the country. And, and, they, and they lost the game to, uh, to, on the road you know, against a really good team, a top 15 team in St. Mary's. I think it was more about them showing that they're – that they're a legit team that you do not want to play them. They're basically the Virginia from out West and freshman Aidy Mahaney had a national statement for those who are able to stay up when he just single-handedly carried them to victory. So I definitely think the Gale should get a lot of the credit there. And then Texas, you know, beat Kansas state in the comeback that another quad one win. Now they're looking like a one seed. And I think all the, the question is, Hey, you know, are they going to look outside? Or or is is Terry going to get the job for them? Right now, it's hard to argue that they've taken a step back from losing Chris Beard. So either, you know, either Terry, you know, is a legit coach, or maybe this roster was going to be good no matter who was the lead. So I am interested going forward to see what they'll do with that job because right now Texas looks like they're the best team in the Big Twelve. Yeah, Texas. We don't know what happened with them on Monday against Kansas at the time of this recording, but they've really been able to overcome all that we saw in the month of January. They're them canning Chris Beard. Defense certainly is not what we thought it was going to be coming into the season, but they've been able to get a lot of production out of Sir Jabari Rice and a Sir that is able to do an absolutely amazing job of taking a look at the college basketball landscape is you, Tristan. Absolutely love the work that you do at Bustin' Brackets. Every single time you join this podcast, you deliver great insights. Love the good people at home. Know what's all on tap for you and how people are able to follow along on social media and other platforms. Absolutely. You can find me at Hoopsnut351 on Twitter. You can also follow uh, Bustin' Brackets social media handle and website as well. And big game this week uh, for the local teams. Pittsburgh got Sarah, uh, Louisville tomorrow. I'll be at that game. But then Duquesne takes on George Mason in a battle of mid-tier A-10 teams. You, you talk about the a, uh, ACC being jumbled, but the A-10 from 2 through 10, I mean, it's pretty much anyone's game. There's going to be a lot of teams fighting for that double bye in that conference as well. Oh, that is going to be such a fascinating conference because at this point, Atlantic 10 is going to be a one-bid league. Dayton pretty much needed to win out in order to become a team that might have consideration for an at-large bid. They were not able to do that, so there's going to be a lot of pressure on these A-10 teams moving forward to be able to get seeding for what is going to be a just slobber knocker of a tournament, to say the least. And Tristan and all the other gentlemen over there at Boston Brackets are doing a great job of gauging this great game of college basketball. And every single time Tristan joins me, he runs great insights. Big thanks to him for joining me on Coast to Coast. He's part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. 
Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying cows are busted. Can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> Bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> Bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my game. <laughs> Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying cows are busted. Can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my, my game. <laughs> Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. 
The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying cows are busted. Can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? My first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, Demarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> Bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> Bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my That's my We're back here at Las Vegas for Gus Gus with myself, Greg Peters, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Always great to be joined by Tristan Freeman, doing great work over there at Boston Brackets. He's out there in ACC country following the Pittsburgh Panthers, really everything in the Pittsburgh area in terms of college basketball. But on top of that, doing a great job taking a look at the national landscape of college basketball. And every single time he joins this podcast, does a tremendous job making us all smarter on the game that we all know and love. So big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do you note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at Janet underscore D1. Good to be going in Las Vegas Station or this is where... Pretty much we go at the bigger conferences first, and then typically the smaller conferences are at the bottom. The lone game that is going to be at the bottom is the game involving our independent school in Chicago State. Everything else is in time order than the Chicago State game is at the bottom. So that'll keep things clean and easy. And how about if we get started with 601, 602 on the betting board? It is Rutgers, and they hit the road face off against Indiana. Hoosiers are between four and four and a half point favorites. Totals between 134 and a half and 135. And this is a total that I set out of 132. I'm diving under. Now, if you do have one trepidation with this Rutgers defense, massive home and road splits. They are giving up 75.2 points per 100 possessions at home, 101.2 points per 100 possessions on the road. That is a 26 point disparity. That said, I do think that this is a little bit of a flat spot. For Indiana, they're coming off of knocking off number one in Purdue. Now they have to get back up for this game, and I do think that's a little bit of a tough matchup. Trace Jackson Davis has been amazing this year for Indiana. We saw him have a nice day on Saturday, and he's really been able to deliver recently as he has had at least 18 points in each of the team's last seven games. He has had 
Two 20-plus rebound games in the last four. He's been just racking up the blocks overall for the season. 20 points, 11 rebounds, 3.5 assists, 3.2 blocks per contest. And then you've got Jalen Ochefino in the backcourt. He's been able to shoot 41% from 3, 12.5 points per game. But we have seen some inconsistencies because while that Indiana win over Purdue was terrific. Prior to that, and that game against Maryland, in which they only got to 55 points, Huchifino was not too terrific in that game, and I do think that Rutgers is going to be able to generate some steals in this game. You've got Cliff Amarui to be matching up with Trace Jackson Davis, 13.5 points, 10 boards, 2 blocks per contest, and then you've got the duo of Cam Spencer and Caleb McConnell combining for 4.6 steals, 6.6 assists, you get 12.8 points and 42% three-point shooting out of Spencer. McConnell shooting 22% for three, more like 10 points per game, but still, you've been able to have Andre Hyatt be able to hit some threes. Rutgers as a whole, we only shoot about 32.5% for three, but a top 25 team in terms of turnovers, fourths on a per-possession basis. It's an Indiana team that they've been able to do a better job on defense themselves, allowing 70 points or fewer in six out of their last seven games. So I do think the things are going to be a little bit more buttoned up for Rutgers. They've really only allowed north of 70 points once to a team not named Iowa. I was able to get them twice, but other than that game against Temple, they've been relatively good on that front. With Indiana, you do have guys like Tamar Bates, Miller Cop, who I do like with Cop, shooting now 44.5% from three Bates, right around eight points per game. He shoots about 40% from three, so a little bit of an interesting circumstance here. Rutgers has not been the same team on the road, but I do think that this is a little bit of a flat spot in this circumstance for Indiana. So I did set my total at 132. I do think that you're going to get a game that slowed down Indiana about 130th in the country in terms of possessions per game. Rutgers, they play tough defense, but it's not like they're a total slug, 215th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. But I do think both of these teams are going to do a solid job on defense. I do think that in the end, Indiana pulls it out just with a little bit of better offense, but I think it'll be tight. Set my number at four, so at four and a half, won't take the points with Rutgers, and set my total at 132, diving under six of three, six of four on the betting board. Marquette hits the road face off against UConn. UConn is a four to a four and a half point favorite with your total between 149 and 150, and I did set my total at a 148 and a half. I'm going to be willing to dive under. It's a Marquette team that has been a little bit suspect on defense. They are coming off of a little bit of a clunker with their offense. The defense was terrific, giving up 52 points to Butler, but they were only able to knock in their 60 points. I do think that this is going to be going northward. You've got a Marquette team that is in the top 15 nationally in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, and I will say this, the Marquette defense has been able to improve recently as well. Fewer than 70 points surrendered in each out of their last four games. You've got a UConn team that the defense has been a little bit all over the place recently. They have now given up at least 75 points in two out of their last four games, and if you want to go back a little bit further, four out of their last six, so that's a little bit unsightly. I do think that they're going to be able to pick it up still a top 25 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis with Dominic Klingon down low, giving you two blocks, six boards. You've got a team that shoots it well from three-point range. Alex Caravan, Jordan Hawkins, Adama Sonogo, they all shoot between 38.5 and 40.6% from three-point range. You've got Caravan, who's able to give you right around nine points, four boards per contest. Hawkins, 16 points, four boards, and then Adama Sonogo just makes things a go-go, 17 points, seven boards. You've got to love what all these guys bring to the table, including Andre 3000 Jackson, just 5.9 points, but six half rebounds, four and a half assists, 1.2 steals per game, but you saw it the first time around. Marquette 
was able to get the job done 82 to 76 in that game. Marquette was able to do a nice job of holding down UConn from beyond the arc. 6 of 22 from three-point range. Marquette, despite the fact that they are a top 55 team in terms of possessions per game, they don't turn it over with 11 turnovers per game. Tyler Kolak, 7.9 assists, a 2.5 turnover, shooting 37% from three as he's one of five different Marquette players that average at least 10 points per game. David Joplin is one, shooting 40% from three. He chips in there 10 points per game. Kolak and also Ogadero both give you between 11 and 12 points per game. Ogadero, really the only guy on the team that is able to give you north of five rebounds per game with 11.8 points, six boards, but he does a good job down low for the team. And all of your top four scores, by the way, for Marquette, and six of your top seven all generate at least one seal per game with Cam Jones leading the way with 15.5 points per game. Oliver Maximine Prosper has been able to do a solid job as well. First time around, Dominic Cleaning got his rebounds, but Marquette was still able to hold up. And I do think that UConn's advantage on glass is going to allow them to be able to get their revenge. But I do think that this is going to be another nip and tuck game. I do think that the Marquette defense is rapidly improving. And I do think that UConn, unlike the first time around, they are going to be looking to slow this game down because Marquette is a team that's looking to run and gun it a little bit more. UConn, they're not a slow team, but we've noticed that their possessions per game have went down by about three and a half per game over the last three contests. They rank overall about 125th in the country. In terms of total possessions per game, I do think that Marquette is going to be slowed down just a tad in this game. I did set my line at 2.5. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Marquette. I think that UConn is able to get the outright win, but they've been a rather disappointing team. I don't want to be laying the points with them. I want that security of being able to get 4-plus with Marquette. And did set my total at 148.5, so also looking at the under to go along with Marquette. 6-5, 6-6 on the betting board. Akron plays those to Toledo. Toledo is a 2.5 to a 3-point underdog. Your total between 147.5 and 148.5. I did set my total at 146.5. It's a tricky spot because you've got a Toledo team that ranks in the bottom one earned nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, Toledo is number one, and they're a top 40 team in terms of possessions per game. You've got a Toledo bunch with Cedric Milner Jr. down low, giving you 15 points, six boards, but then Ray J. Dennis, J.T. Schulmate. How about this duo? They're combining for 36.7 points, 9.1 rebounds. Dennis gives you six assists and 1.4 seals per game, and Schulmate at six foot seven shoots 41.5% from three. Toledo, for as fast as they play, they turn the ball over just 10 times per contest. Meanwhile, you've got an Akron team that they're more around 250th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, and they've really been able to ramp it up on defense. It's an Akron bunch as 50th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis with Xavier Castaneda being their top scorer and actually the top player in terms of points per game in this contest. 21 points per contest, shooting 41% from three-point range. Akron as a whole, they shoot 35% from three. Relatively good at taking care of the ball with 11.3 turnovers per game. Enrique Freeman, 15 points, 11 rebounds per game. The lone trepidation that you do have with that, though, is that he's the only guy on the roster that's able to give you north of 4.5 rebounds per game, and you do have a little bit of better team rebounding when it comes to Toledo, because while you've got Milner Jr., Shulmate, what have you, you've got essentially six different guys that give you at least 3.8 rebounds per game, so that is something that you're able to utilize to your advantage. You've got someone that comes in from Cal State Fullerton and Dante Maddox, who's been able to give you 10.5 points per game, shooting in the neighborhood about 42.5% from three-point range. Yeah, I do think that Toledo can be slowed down, and as a matter of fact, in their last game against Central Michigan, they were slowed down a tad. They still got theirs, but they were able to actually win that game 84-59, to so it was a little bit of a rare under in that circumstance. You've got an Akron team that they've done a very good job with their defense, as they have allowed 70 points or fewer in really all but one of their games thus far in MAC play. Typically 
Basically, it's a little bit easier to slow a team down than it is to speed one up. And for Toledo, even in a little bit of slowdown game, I do think that they'll be able to have some success just because they do such a good job as a team of rebounding. You've got Freeman, who's going to be that dominant rebounder, but at the same time with Akron, you could use a little bit more out of someone like a Greg Tribble, Sammy Hunter, guys giving you between six and seven points per game. Tavari Johnson has not been playing a ton of minutes recently. He's only at 11 points in the last three contests, so he's able to facilitate just a little bit. I do think that Toledo going to be able to win this game with their team rebounding, and I do think that Akron going to get a little bit more of their tempo. I set this number at a two and a half. I'm seeing some threes out there. We'll only take three or more with Toledo. Semi-total at 146.5. I think Akron gets this game slowed down, so looking at the under, and I'm going to be looking at three plus with Toledo. 607-608 on the betting board. It is Western Michigan on the road facing off against Miami of Ohio. Miami of Ohio is a three to a three and a half point favorite. Totals between 147.5 and 148.5. Semi number at three, so three and a half is the buy point on Western Michigan. Western Michigan is a team that they play relatively slow. They're in the bottom 35 nationally in terms of total possessions per game. Problem is, they just are not efficient at all with their defense. 360th out of 363 D1 teams in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but it's not like this Miami of Ohio team is a whole heck of a lot better. They're better than 360th, but that's because they're 356th. So, both of these teams absolutely pathetic in terms of defensive efficiency. Miami of Ohio more of a mid-tempo team, but in terms of best score out there on the floor, that belongs to Lamar Norman Jr. of Western Michigan. 18 points, 3 assists per game, shooting 35% for 3 for a Western Michigan team that overall they do shoot 33.5% from the outside. They do need to cut down on the 13 turnovers per game, but you do take a look at this Miami of Ohio team and you really don't get a lot down low out of this team as you've got someone in Anderson Marmbeau who's right around 300 pounds, 13 points, 5.5 boards, and just does not lend a lot of versatility. Though I will say 2.7 assists per game as a big man. That's not too bad. They really rely upon their main two scorers, though. That'd be Mikai Larry, along with Morgan Safford. These two guys are combined for 33.5 points, 9.5 boards, 2.5 seals, and both shoot 36.5% from three. In a Colts game, one thing Miami of Ohio has going for it is that they shoot nearly 77% of the free line. But Western Michigan honestly does shoot relatively well themselves, 72.5% at the charity stripe. And I do think that they're going to be able to win the battle down low. Titus Wright, 9 points, 5 rebounds per game is rock solid. And then you've got Marquise Hastings, 8.5 points, 9 rebounds per game. Even some like a Tafari Sims, who comes in from UW-Milwaukee. He's been able to give the team a combined nine rebounds, 12 points in the last two games. Shoots 38.5% from three as a six foot six, a little bit of a combo player. I feel like there's more weapons for Western Michigan to utilize now. Both of these teams on almighty skids. Western Michigan has lost six straight games. Miami of Ohio has lost seven straight games. And both of these teams have been all over the place with their offense. Both of these teams have been all over the place with their defense. I will say this for both of these teams. They both give it up 78 points or fewer into their last three games. I guess that's a little bit of something. You've got a Western Michigan team that has been able to exceed 75 points in two out of their last four games. You've got a Miami of Ohio team that they themselves have gotten to at least 68 points in each other last five. I do think that there is going to be some offense in this game just with the sheer inefficiency of both of these defenses. Semi-total 151. Would not be surprised if this comes down to late game felling to be able to help out this over as well. So looking at the over and with Miami of Ohio, set them as a three-point favorite. So you're at three and a half. Going to be willing to take the points with Western Michigan. 609-610 on the betting board. It is Buffalo playing out to Eastern Michigan. Eastern Michigan in eight and a half to a nine-point underdog with your total between 161 and 162. You want to talk about inefficient defense as well. Here you go with Eastern Michigan in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. This team clocks in at 359th in the country. Buffalo has honestly been able to do a little bit of a better job with their defense. Not like this is the 85 Bears, but 233rd in the country with this regard. It's an Eastern Michigan team that 
They're a fast team. They're not super-duper up-tempo at 47th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. And the reason why I don't say super-duper is because the other team is Buffalo, number two in the country in terms of possessions per game. They are looking to run in and gun it. I did set my total at a 161. I think that here at 162, we went just a tad bit too far because Eastern Michigan starting to show a little bit of a heartbeat on defense. In games that have wrapped up in regulation because their Ball State game went to overtime, they have held each other last three opponents to fewer than 80 points, and they've won two out of their last three games. The other game against Ball State, they lose by one in overtime. So you're getting a better effort there. Meanwhile, for Buffalo, once again, doesn't sound like much, but they've given up 81 points or fewer in four of their last five games. Meanwhile, they themselves have been held to 77 points or fewer in four out of their last six. So I do think that it's just a touch too high, and the best score in this game is going to be Imani Bates. Bates has had some incredible performances this year. 21 points, 5.5 boards, coming off of a 35 spot against Ball State. And he has been able to put up 19 plus points in three of the last four games, including that 43-burger that he had against Toledo. It's an Eastern Michigan team, though, that they just don't put anything around him. Overall, Eastern Michigan, 33% three-point shooting team. 11.7 turnovers for how quickly they play is honestly not bad. You've got Tyson Acuff and Noah Farrakhan who combined for 5.5 assists. They combined for about 26 points per game, but both of these guys shoot below 31% from three-point range. Bates is the only guy in the roster that's able to give you north of 4.5 rebounds per game. Meanwhile, you've got a Buffalo unit that you've got much more rebounding on this team as you've got each of your top three scores giving you at least 4.1 rebounds per game. Zid Powell, Isaiah Adams, maybe able to combine for 24 points, 8.5 boards with Adams shooting 35% from three-point range as a little bit of a 6-6 six six combo player. Curtis Jones shoots 38% from the outside, 2.5 assists. 16 points per game, and then Lickwell Hardened is able to give you 6.5 rebounds per game. Genevia Smith has been a little bit up and down this season, but he's been able to hit the glass a little bit more. He's contributed at least a lock in each of the last five games. The reason why the defense has been just a tad bit improved with this Buffalo team. Eastern Michigan comes in playing quite well as in each other last four games, they've either won or they've lost by five or fewer, but I do like the way that Buffalo is starting to ascend a little bit as well. They went on the road. They played Kent State tough. They're coming off of a road win against Western Michigan and just the well-roundedness of Buffalo and the way that they do a significantly better job on the glass is going to be able to get it done in this spot. Semi-12, 161, CR, 162, looking at the under with Buffalo. Did make them an 11-point favorite. Eastern Michigan has the best player out there on the court, but that's the only thing that they've got going for them. So, want to lay the number with Buffalo, and I'm going to be taking a look at this little under 611, 612 on the betting board. VC plays those to Dayton. Dayton is an underdog of three to three and a half points. Your total on this game is 93, 129, and 130 and a half. Did set my number at two and a half. You're at three or more. It is my buy point on Dayton. Dayton has been a very disappointing and struggling team, but Dayton now does have their full backcourt back. Malachi Smith, Kobe Elvis Smith. Not delivering a lot of scoring, but he's been able to give up five and a half assists to about 1.7 turnovers per game. That is absolutely massive, and he's been able to give the team a combined 24 assists to two turnovers in the team's last three games. So he's done a nice job of being able to dish out the ball. Meanwhile, Elvis, he is in the building, shooting about 35% from three. He's able to give you 10 points, just under three assists per game. So that means that Mongolian Mike, he doesn't need to run the offense anymore. And you've got two guys in Daron Holmes and Kumari Kamara that should be able to win the battle down low. They combine for 16.6 rebounds per game. Kamara, 13 and a half points per game. You get a combined five blocks out of this team with Holmes and Kamara providing three of them all by themselves. And Daron Holmes, he's a 
combo player that's able to shoot right around 40% from three at six foot 10, 17 and a half points, 7.7 rebounds per game. I absolutely love his game. And you've got two of the best defenses that you're going to find in all of college basketball. It's a VCU team that out of 363 D1 teams, they rank 11th in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Dayton for much of the year has been a top 25 team. Right now they're clocking in at 24th, but really both of these teams do a rock solid job there. It's all about which team gets their tempo because VCU is a team that's looking to play a little bit faster. Meanwhile, Dayton 319th in the country. There's a total possessions frame of VCU more around 157th, but I will say VCU has seen a tempo shift of their own, playing at six possessions per game fewer in their last three contests, and it's a VCU team that you just take a look at what they've been able to do. It has been rather remarkable with their defense as they have given up 65 points or fewer in each out of their last eight games. They do a great job of being able to lock you down with being able to get right around nine turnovers in terms of steals per game, overall turnovers. They're a top 20 team in terms of turnovers for us on a per possession basis, but they themselves turn them over about 14 and a half times per game. You got Jaden Deloach down low giving you nine and a half points, seven rebounds per game, and it's very clear ace ball when it's going to need to go into takeover mode. He's the top scorer for the team, 13 and a half points, 5.8 assists, shoots 40% from three with 2.2 steals per game, coming off of scoring 14 plus points so far the last five games, and a 37 spot to be able to lift the team over St. Louis as well. Brandon Johns is able to provide you 12 points per game. Got guys like Jameer Watkins, Jaden Nunn, they give you right around 8 to 9 points per game. So it's a little bit more of a deep VCU team, but with Dayton, I do think that they're going to be able to get up off the mat. They have given up at least 68 points in far of their last five games. One of those games was a game that did go to overtime against Loyal Chicago, though. This is still a team that does a great job down low. I think that it's going to be a sloppy game involving a lot of turnovers. Dayton in the bottom 125 in terms of hanging on to the ball, and I do think that this is going to be a game that ultimately does come down to late game felling, and I do think that VCU is going to look to crank up the tempo just a hair. I set my total as a result at a 130 and a half. Here at 129 to 130, I'm going to be one to go over with Dean. They've got the advantage down low, and I think that that is going to allow them to be able to cover this game along with getting back their guards. So here at three or more, taking the points with Dayton and anything of 130 or less, looking at the over. 613-614 on the betting board. It is Central Michigan playing on Ball State. Ball State is a 6.5 to a 7-point favorite with your total 139 and a half to 140. And I did set Ball State as a 9-point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay the number. Payne Sparks is someone that really does impress me in Central Michigan. Going to have no response for him as he's been able to give this team just under 8.5 rebounds per game while chipping in their 12.5 points per game was having a little bit of a rough go of it in January. He had single digits in each of the last four games in the month of January in terms of points, so he was still giving the team rebounds as he's got a combined 35 rebounds in each of the last three games, but coming off of a double-double against Eastern Michigan, that'll get him going, and then you've got the duo of Jalen Sellers along Jerron Coleman, combined for 28.5 points. Sellers shooting 48% from three points, and Coleman 39% from three. That's rock solid. You've got a Central Michigan team that, towards the beginning part of the year, they were in the top 125 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. This has been flushed straight down the toilet bowl, though they're now a 235th ranked team. Turns points a lot on a per possession basis, giving up nearly 15 more points per 100 possessions in their last four games and towards the beginning part of the season. And you've got absolutely nothing down low. Brian Taylor is the only guy in the roster giving you north of 4.5 rebounds per game as he chips in their 14.5 points, 6.5 boards for a Central Michigan team that they shoot 29.5% from three. Bottom 30 mark in all of college basketball. They commit 16 turnovers per game. It is actually a Central Michigan team that is the more up tempo team. Ball State, more around 200th in terms of total possessions per game. Central Michigan, 
they're hovering in that neighborhood about 90th, and it's just a Central Michigan team that's relying a little bit too much on Reggie Bass along with Jesse Zarzula. Bass is able to give you about three assists per game. Zarzula, 16.5 points, shooting 35.5% from three-point range, but Zarzula, a little bit banged up. He missed the team's most recent game. He's probably going to be out of the fold once again, which means that you're just left all out of sorts with this backcourt, with the way that Ball State has been able to operate in general, the way that they've got more low post presence, and they've given up 70 points for fear two of the last three games, but with Central Michigan going straight down the toilet pole, I do like this total over. I recognize that Central Michigan only was able to exceed the 70-point plateau once in the month of January, but I do think the ball state going to be able to put in a lot of damage on the total. I'll say they themselves outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. So I did set my total at 141 going over with Ball State. Made them a 9-point favorite, so I'm going to be one to lay the number. 615-616 on the betting board. Wake Forest is going to be playing us in North Carolina. North Carolina between a pickup to a 1-point favorite. Totals between 153.5 and 154.5. I did set my total at 149.5. I'm going to be one to dive under. This is very strange to say, but North Carolina hasn't been completely terrible with their defense recently. You take a look at them and they have now given up 70 points or fewer in each out of their last five games and I believe six out of their last seven. Meanwhile, you do have a Wake Forest team that, well, it's not been so savory for them on defense. 75 plus points to render in four of their last five games. They were able to snap that against a Notre Dame team that is completely rudderless, but I do think that Wake Forest is going to be able to get the job done on their home floor because they do have the added versatility of Cameron Hildreth along Tyree Appleby. These two guys are eating good in the neighborhood. Hildreth hits the glass a little bit more. 13 points, 6 boards, 2.8 assists. Had a triple-double against Hampton earlier this year. Meanwhile, Appleby, he shoots 37.5% from the outside. 18 points, 6 assists, and it's cut down on the turnovers. So three turnovers per game. Wake Forest is a mid-tempo team. They're more around about 180th in terms of total possessions per game. You've got a North Carolina team then plays a little bit faster, but it's not like they're completely out of sorts. They're 41st in the country in terms of possessions per game, so they're fast, but it's not like they're an absolute blazer. And I mentioned with North Carolina, defense is a little bit better right now. 104th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis now for this Wake Forest team. Certainly it's been a little bit sad to say the least at 207th, but I will say they are giving up right around 5 points per 100 possessions fewer at home rather than on the road. Armando Bacot should be able to have a good game in this one. 17 points, 11 half rebounds, Gives you a block for contest and R.J. Davis has been able to pick up his three-point shooting, shooting about 35.5% from three-point range, 16 points per game. Pete Nance, he's been just not necessarily effective recently for the North Carolina team. Six points or fewer in three of the last five games that he's played, and I know that he's dealt with an injury. Puff Johnson coming back for North Carolina is terrific, but you go back to the last time these two teams played. Wake Forest lost on the home floor of North Carolina by a count of 88-79, to but they were able to get the cover in that game, and a big thing for Wake Forest in that game is that they allowed North Carolina to shoot the three, but they themselves went 10 of 21 from distance. They've got a pair of guys in Damari Monsanto, coupled with Davion Williamson, who followed Steve Forbes over from East Tennessee State. You've got both of these guys being able to shoot north of 38.5% from three. Williamson, eight points per game. Monsanto, 13.5 points per contest on 41% three-point shooting. And then Austin Carr is able to give you six rebounds per game. I do think that the added versatility they have with Wake Forest is very big. And I do think that Wake Forest is going to do a better job on the turnover front. 15-9, North Carolina, one of the worst teams in the country in terms of forcing turnovers on a per-possession basis. And Wake Forest, they've been able to be relatively buttoned up with regards to the way that they take care of the ball. And I do think that that'll be the difference in things being 
being flipper roonied. I did set my total at a 149.5. I'm diving under with Wake Forest. Did make them the 1.5 point favorite. So I'm going to be willing to take Wake Forest as a pick em slash a money line underdog. 617, 618 on the betting board. It is Louisville in the road face off against Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh is a favorite of 16 to 16.5 points. And your total on this game in between 138.5 and 139.5. Interesting circumstance here. You've got a mid-tempo Pittsburgh team that has really been able to excel on offense. Meanwhile, you've got a Louisville team that they're in the bottom one in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, but they're also in the bottom one in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. I did set my total at a 140.5. I'm going to be willing to go over the total because you do have a guy in LL that has been able to deliver a little bit of everything for Louisville. 17 points, 4.8 assists, but it is 4.1 turnovers per game. That leads off college basketball, and that means that a lot of teams are able to turn those turnovers into offense. I will say he's been a little bit better recently. Three turnovers or fewer in four of the last five games on the lone outlier that was just four turnovers, and he's been able to give up four plus assists and every one of those contests. As a result, we have seen this Louisville team be able to get past the 68-point plateau in each other the last two games. Now, it's a Louisville team that... They are still not necessarily doing the world's greatest job in terms of their defense. It's a defense that has now allowed at least 75 points in seven out of their last eight games. It's a Pittsburgh team that they've been able to up their defense a little bit more, giving up 71 points or fewer in four of their last five games. The last time these two teams played, it was a 75-54 to 54 thrashing of Louisville. Louisville in that game, 17 turnovers on 19 made buckets. I do think that we're going to see things be a little bit different on that front, but with that said, you've got Greg Elliott in that first game at 23 points, and he has been able to light it up for a Pittsburgh team that overall is shooting about 35% from three-point range. Elliott shoots 41% from the outside, 10.5 points per game. Nelly Cummings, He's been good with Jamarius Burton combining for 8.9 assists per game. Cummings, just about 34% from three-point range. Burton, 35% from three with Burton. Give you 16 points per game. Blake Kinson, 6 for 7 combo player, 16 points, 6 half rebounds per game. Going to be hard for Louisville to match up with. Now, Louisville, they do have their top rebounder in Brandon Huntley. Hetfield, back to the fold. He and Jalen Withers have been able to combine for about 11.2 rebounds per game. At the very least, Huntley Hetfield was warming up in the team's last game. Did not play in that. I expect him to go in this game. And Mikey James has been able to shoot it well from three-point range as well. Just five points in that game against Pittsburgh, and I will say single digits did not three out of the last five games, but overall shooting 37% from three-point range in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. They've been a relatively solid team. Not great, not terrible, right in that neighborhood of about 100th with this regard, but I do think that for Pittsburgh, a team that has really been able to get things going with their three-point shooting, a team that has been able to get past the 70-point plateau and now four out of their last six games, that they're going to be able to keep it going on offense against the Louisville defense that has been one of the worst in all of college basketball. Did set my total at a 140.5. I'm going to be willing to go over in this spot, and the last time these two teams played, it was a complete drubbing. I do expect more of the same in this one. I did set Pittsburgh as a 16.5-point favorite, so 16 is the absolute max I'm willing to lay, but I'm Willing to lay 16, and I'm going to be looking at the over. Now we go to my DK and H pick. This is 619-620 on the betting board. It is Auburn, and they are going to be on the road facing off against Texas A&M. Texas A&M is a favorite of two and a half to three points. Your total on this game, it is 140 and a half, and DK and H pick, that is going to be on the under. You've got a pair of teams that are playing absolutely superb defense for Texas A&M. They have allowed 67 points or fewer in now 10 out of their last 12 games. Meanwhile, you've got an Auburn team that is 16th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but if you're looking on a roadside neutral court basis, it's an Auburn team that they're in the top eight nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. You also do have a Texas A&M team that they've had a little bit of a tough time taking care of the ball on their home floor. They are 278th in the country in terms of just turnovers on a per-possession basis, but what I do like about this Texas A&M team is the way that they're able to rebound. They're a top 25 team in terms of total rebound rate. This is despite the fact that they don't have that 
one big man down low like Auburn does. Auburn has been so good on defense because they do have G&I Broom just cleaning things up. 13.5 points, 8.9 rebounds. It's 2.5 blocks per game. That's in the top 10 nationally. And it's a Auburn team that they rank fourth in the country in terms of percentage of shots by opponents that they do block. But here's the issue with Auburn. They rank in the bottom 15 nationally in terms of three-point shooting percentage at 28.8%. You've got Wendell Green, who's able to give you 4.3 assists, 13.5 points per game. But Texas A&M, they're right around 280th or so in terms of three-point shooting percentage. But at the very least, they shoot more around 31.8% from three. And they do have a primary scorer. That would be Wade Taylor the fourth. You get 14.5 points, four assists out of him, and then scores two through five for Texas A&M. They're a part of that team that does do such a good job of rebounding as they all give you at least 4.2 rebounds per game. Julius Marble, 9.5 points, 4.5 rebounds. Dexter Dennis, very good defender, 8.5 points, 5.3 rebounds. Seal per contest, Henry Coleman, 10.5 points, 6.5 boards, and Tyrese Radford has picked up his scoring. He's now shooting about 35.5% from three-point range. He's been able to deliver at least 15 points in four of the last five games, 14 plus in each of those five as well, while giving the team seven plus rebounds in three of the team's last four. So my DK Nation write-up as a result, it is going to be on the under with Auburn's just sheer lack of ability to be able to put the ball in the basket from the outside and the fact that Texas A&M has been playing so well on defense. Meanwhile, Auburn, they've allowed 70 plus points in three out of their last five games. I did make Texas A&M a four-point favorite. So, want to lay the small two-and-a-half to three line here with Texas A&M. DK Nation write-up, that is going to be on the under. 621-622 on the betting board. It is Georgia playing us Ole Miss. And Ole Miss is a uh, underdog of one-and-a-half to two points with your total between 136 and 137. With Ole Miss, I set them as an underdog of four-and-a-half. I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Georgia. Georgia has regressed a little bit, and if you take a look at them for the entirety of the season, they are an offense that ranks outside the top 140 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, but it's still an offense that has been able to get to at least 70 points in 10 out of their last 14 games. Meanwhile, for Ole Miss, only reason why they were able to get to 71 in that game against Vanderbilt for a very, very lucky cover is that they had, like, Robert Allen, a career 26% three-point shooter that made no threes all season long. Throw it in there. It was a game in which they were down by 11 points with about a minute remaining. And it was just by sheer luck that they were able to get the cover in that game. Meanwhile, they've given up at least 74 points in each of their last four games, which is supposed to be the strong point of this team. Now, the good news is they were missing Matthew Morrell a little bit for the past week or two. He's been able to come back in the fold, and they badly need him because he is the lone double-figure scorer for this team. 14.7 points, 2.5 assists. Only shoots about 30% for three. And overall, Ole Miss shooting 30.3% for three-point range while also ranking about 133rd in the country. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis to go up against a Georgia team that is 109th in this category in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. But you've got a Georgia team that as well is allowing about 18.4 points fewer per one earned possessions at home rather than on the road. And you've got an Ole Miss team that they brought in a lot of guys via the transfer portal like Javius McKinnis, Shashun Bala, Theok Wuba. They have not been able to necessarily excel down low. McKinnis has been able to give you a little bit more recently with six plus rebounds in four of the last six games. But, I mean, you're really relying upon someone in Mr. Jamin Brakefield who's been able to give you nine and a half points per game to really do it all for the team. Meanwhile, you've got a Georgia bunch that they're not strong down low, but they're a top 45 team in terms of opponents three-point shooting percentage. Matthew Moncrief, Braylon Bridges, they've been able to combine for in that neighborhood about 13 and a half points, nine and a half rebounds per contest. You've had Moncrief deal with some injuries, but he's been able to return to the fold. It's really about Scary Terry Roberts and Kerry Oquindo 
being able to carry this backcourt. Now, with Aquendo, did leave a game against Texas A&M with a little bit of an injury, was limited to just 12 minutes, but he and Roberts, they combined for about 27 half points per game. Would not be surprised if Aquendo does not play in this game, but Roberts is a better three-point shooter and is your main facilitator. 4.2 assists per game, you're going to be probably looking at Justin Hill providing quite a few minutes in that game against Texas A&M. 36 minutes, 20 points. I don't think he's much of a downgrade at all from Aquendo. It does hurt the depth a little bit because you're probably going to need to see Mardez McBride get some more minutes, but hey, he's been able to give the team 17 plus points in two out of the last three games as well. While he was at North Texas last year, averaged 11.5 points on 39% three-point shooting. He's a capable scorer. Georgia has been able to do a good job locking down from three-point range all season long. It's an Ole Miss team that is rudderless both in terms of their offense and their defense. For Georgia, they have been able to get to 70 plus in quite a few of their games. I think that it's going to be a little bit of a struggle for them to be able to get there, but I certainly think that they're going to be able to get the job done much like they did the first time around, first time these two teams played. Georgia went on the road. They were able to get a 62-58 to win in a game which Ole Miss won 3 of 19 from three-point range. I think Ole Miss shoots a little bit better than that, but Georgia was able to win the rebound battle. They played even up in terms of turnovers. I think it's going to be a little bit higher scoring, but I think it's going to be another slog for both of these teams. So my total at 134.5, so I'm going to be diving under. Of Georgia, I think they get it done once again. Willing to lay up to four with Georgia, so willing to lay the 1.5 to 2 that I'm seeing right now. 623, 624 on the betting board. Kent State plays us to Bowling Green, and Bowling Green is a underdog of 13.5 to 14 points with your total 147.5. I said Kent State as a 12.5 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take the points. It is a Bowling green team that certainly leaves a lot to be desired on defense and they go up against one of the best mid-major defenses in all of college basketball. It's a Kent State team that ranks in the top 30 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. They're a top 25 team at being able to generate turnovers on a per possession basis and a big reason why is Malik Jacobs was able to give you 12 points, 5 boards, 3.3 assists and 2.8 steals per game. I will say you know, he shoots from three-point range about 22% and sincere carry for all that he does well. Only shooting 27% from the outside, 17 points, five assists, 1.7 steals per game. I know that our good friend Justin Perry over there at Chalk Wall, he bets his dove into it. And it's a Kent State team in recent games has been a tad bit unlucky with regards to their shooting, but certainly a offense that is not necessarily prolific. They only shoot 33% for three now. They only turn the ball over about 11 times per game, but outside the top 100 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, good news is they do get to go up against Bowling Green team at 3 15th in the country. It turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, but for Bowling Green, I don't think that they get decimated on the glass by any means. You've got Rashawn Ag along with Chandler Turner, who've been able to combine for in that neighborhood about 12.3 rebounds per game. Turner is able to give you 9.7 points per contest. Shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range, and he's been on one recently. Five-plus rebounds in each of the last five games. Four steals in the last two contests with 34 points in those two games as well, so he's bailed up his game a little bit. Leon Air is the third. He's missed do it all for the team. 18 and a half points, four boards, 3.3 assists, shooting 42% for three for a Bowling Green team that, for as fast as they play, top 100 in terms of possessions per game. They only turn the ball over 11.8 times per game. They shoot 35% from three-point range. It is a Bowling Green team that comes in having lost three straight games, but they've gotten to at least 77 points in four of their last five games. They really haven't been blown out of any of these losses. Meanwhile, you've got a Kent State defense that has been rock solid. They've given up 70 points or fewer in seven out of their last eight games, so it is a circumstance of something's got to give, but we've seen quite a few non-covers from Kent State recently. They have failed to cover in three out of their last four, so that's a little bit of an issue, and I think that the Central Michigan game might have been a non-cover as well, so that might be four in a row as well. You've got Silver on Hornbeek, who's been able to give the team about five and a half rebounds per 
game, and I do like their sharpshooters in Giovanni Santiago, Lon Jalen Sollinger. They combine for about 16 points per game, and Sollinger is shooting 48% for three, Santiago more around 38% for distance. But I do think that this is a little bit too lofty of a number for a Kent State team that they're still supreme on defense, but they leave a little bit of something to be desired on the offensive side of things. It is a circumstance where I did set this line at 12 and a half. I'm going to be one to take the Cobb Town of points with Bowling Green. I did set my total at 146.5. I do think that Kent State get to do a solid job with their defense. They're about 130th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, so they're not necessarily slow, and I do think that they'll get more turnovers than normal on Bowling Green, but I do think the Bowling Green holds up on the glass. So take the points with Bowling Green and take a look at this total under 625, 626 on the betting board. It is Cincinnati. Yes, we are on to Cincinnati, and they're going to be on the road facing off against Tulane. Tulane is a one-to-one and a half point favorite. Your total on this game is between 153 and 154, and with the green wave, I did set them as a one and a half point favorite. The one that I'm seeing is the absolute max. I'm going to be willing to lay with Tulane, but I'm willing to lay it with them in what I think is going to be a very tight game. You've got a Cincinnati bunch that they've got a lot of good top-end scoring from three-point range. Landers only, David Julius. They combined for 30.3 points, shooting over 40% from three-point range apiece for a Cincinnati team that they've cranked up their tempo, but they've been able to maintain just their ability to take care of the ball like Wes Miller always likes. 10.8 turnovers per game, despite the fact that they're about 120th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. And you've got a Tulane team that they also do the little things right as well. For Tulane, they're number four in all of college basketball in terms of total possessions per game, and they're headlined by the Jalens. Jalen Cook, Jalen Forbes, these two guys have been able to combine for just under 38 points per contest, eight rebounds. Cook is able to give you 4.5 assists per game. They combine for 4.2 steals, and they combine to shoot about 34.5% from three-point range for Tulane, top 10 team in the country. In terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis, they shoot as a collective 79.5% of the free line. That's in the top 10 in all of college basketball. Kevin Cross, he's able to give you 14.8 points, 5.8 rebounds, four assists as a 6'6 combo player. Sion James ships in their three and a half assists, 2.3 seals, 11 points per game. Now, depth is a little bit of an issue. Tylen Pope has been able to give you about four and a half rebounds per game, but you could use a little bit more out of someone like an RJ McGee who's only been able to give you four points per game. But for Cincinnati, you sort of have that on the boards as you've got someone in Victor Lakinu I like 13 points 7.5 rebounds per game but he and Landers Ollie are the only two guys on the roster that give you north of 4.3 rebounds per game which is a little bit of an issue and for Wes Miller he always does a good job of being able to preach defense for Cincinnati and they've been able to shape up a little bit with this defense or 64th in the country turns points a lot on a per possession basis but they give up 13.1 points more per one earned possessions in a roadside neutral court environment and going up against a two lane team that they're able to run it and gun it I do think it's going to be very difficult for them it's a two-lane team that ever since their game against Houston, and Houston is just a terrific team. They've been able to score 74-plus points in every one of their games, and it's a two-lane team that, for that matter, you take a look at them, and they've gotten to at least 74 points in now 10 out of their last 11 games last time these two teams played. It was 88-77, to and in that game, you had Tulane go just 4-20 of 20 from three-point range. They did a good job of getting to the free-throw line to hold in there. They lost the rebound battle by 7, and I do think that you're going to see something similar in this game. I think that Cincinnati wins the rebound battle minimally. I think both of these teams turn the ball over right around 12 times per game, but I do think that the outside shooting of Tulane going to be a little bit better in this spot to be able to lift them on their home floor. So, I did set my total at 153.5. I do think that Cincinnati is starting to buckle down a little bit more on defense. So, here at 153 to 154, I personally would rather take a 153 over rather than a 154 under at current numbers, but I'm going to let this marinate in the AM because it's relatively tight and with Tulane, I did set them as one and a half point favorite, so would be willing to lay the one and take 153 over on current 
number. 627-628 on the betting board. It is UNC Greensboro. They play us to East Tennessee State. East Tennessee State, an underdog of 9.5 to 10 points with your total between 128 and 129.5. And with East Tennessee State, set them as 11.5 point underdog. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. A little bit of trepidation with laying a little bit of a bigger number with UNC Greensboro because it's not a team that is super rambunctious with their offense, but it is an East Tennessee State team that they just can't get a lot going with their offense either. It's one of the lesser three-point shooting teams at all of college basketball at 31.2%, and they only shoot 65.9% at the free line. And this UNC Greensboro team, they've been relatively dominant with the way that they've been able to lock down teams there. 30th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, actually allowing seven-tenths of a point more per one possessions when they are at home rather than on the road. And East Tennessee State, they've been interesting. They are 161st in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but they're also giving up 8.2 points fewer per 100 possessions when they're on the road rather than at home, but I'm not too deterred by that because you do have a UNC Greensboro team that may now have two headline scorers. That'd be Keyshawn Langley and Keontae Kennedy. These two guys have been able to combine for 25.3 points, 9 rebounds, 2.8 steals, about 4 assists, with Langley shooting 41% from 3 and Kennedy 37.5% from 3. A big reason why this team has been successful is that you've got a pair of guys in Dante Tracy and Kobe Langley that they don't score a lot. Langley only gives you 4.7 points per game, Tracy 7.3 points, but they combine for 7 assists. Langley gives you 2 steals per game. These guys have been integral pieces for this team. And then you've got Mohamed Abdul Salam who's able to give you 6 rebounds per game. Flip side, you've got Jaden Sumar chipping in there, 7 rebounds per game, and Deion Thinny Tipler for this ETSU team. He's been able to give you 11.5 points per game, shooting 37.5% for three, but he's been out of the fold the last, we're going to call it three or so weeks, and as a result, it is an ETSU team that they just don't have a lot of outside shooting options. They've been able to get about 13 points and three assists out of Jordan King, but after shooting over 40% for three-part range last year, that has dipped to about 30% from distance this season, and as a result, it is a ETSU team that they had scored 67 points or fewer in three of their last four games. Defense has been a little bit better. They've allowed 73 points or fewer in each other last five, but you take a look at this Greensboro team. They're just pounding teams into oblivion right now. They have given up 70 points or fewer in all but one of their games here in this calendar year, and that was a game that went to overtime against Furman and for Greensboro in games that do not involve Furman because Furman is by far the top offense in this conference. They have given up fewer than 65 points in now each other last six games. I do think that Greensboro is going to do a good job of putting the clamps down on an ETSU team that their defense has been a little bit better on the road, but it's also a Greensboro team that they are much improved with their three-point shooting as well for ETSU. I do think that this is just a bad matchup for them in general, and for Greensboro, they've been able to get past the 69-point plateau in each of their last two games. They've been able to ramp things up a little bit more with that regard, so it is a circumstance where I did set my total at a 130.5. I think that we've dove a little bit too low with this total under, so I'm going to be looking at the over as a result, and with Greensboro, made them an 11.5-point favorite, so one to lay the 9.5 to 10 that I'm seeing with them. 629, 630 on the betting board. Murray State is going to be playing us at Drake, and Drake is a three and a half point favorite, seeing a couple straight threes out there as well, and your total is 139. With Drake, I set them as a five and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. It's a Drake team that has been able to do a pretty incredible job with their defense. They are a bunch that has been dealing with a few minor ailments, but even with that, Coach DeVries is one of the best at mixing and matching in all of college basketball, and for Drake, 
They haven't really experienced much of a fall-off as they're currently 41st in the country. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis and in a roadside shooter court environment, only giving up two more points per 100 possessions when they're away from home than when they are at home. Meanwhile, it's a Murray State team that has been a little bit all over the place with their defense, who are in 59th in the country. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis now with Murray State. They're starting to get a little bit more out of their gentleman that comes in for Queens NC and Jamari Smith. He had a very good start to the season. He had a fall-off from there, and then he was able to rise back up, but last two games here in the month of February, I combined seven points, six rebounds. He has just not been himself to save the least. I would not be surprised if he is currently dealing with an injury. And that means that you've really got one guy that's able to give you north of five rebounds per game. Now you're able to rely upon. That'd be DJ Turnit up Burns, nine points, seven rebounds per game. But it's a Murray State team that they aren't necessarily efficient on defense. They shoot 31.5% from the outside. Relatively mid-tempo team. Both of these teams are not necessarily looking to play at a rambunctious pace. Neither of these teams slow it down to a snail pace either. But Tucker DeVries going to be the best overall scorer out there on the floor. I know that he was dealing with a little bit of an infection and, well, he scored 32 points in the last game against Valparaiso. It looks like he's been able to overcome that. He is just fine, so there's no concerns with him. You do have Roman Penn, who's done a nice job, but be able to run an efficient offense. Just 11 turnovers per game for Drake. 5.3 assists, 11.5 points per game out of him. And you've got such good versatility. Garrett Sturts at 6'3", 9 points, 7 boards, shoots 41% for 3. Darnell Brody, 9 points, 7 boards, gives you a block per contest, and you've been able to get a little bit more recently out of DJ Turnit up Wilkins as well. A little bit of a hit or miss score with about 8 points per game, but he's been able to chip in there 7 plus points in each other the last 5 games. Shoots overall for the season 36.5% from the outside in a road slash neutral court environment, shooting 40 plus percent from three-point range. I do think that Drake is going to be able to get it done. I do think that they do a nice job on this Murray State team as well. It is a Murray State team that's not necessarily looking to play too up-tempo. Drake has been very good with their defense. Their defensive numbers are just a little bit strange right now because each of their last two games went to double overtime. So that's why they gave up 80-plus in those two games. So if you look at them in actual regulation, they have now given up 68 points or fewer in pretty much each out of their last seven games. I do think that Drake going to be able to do that once again in this spot. I don't think Murray State gives up 99 like they did the last time around. So I do think that things are going to be a little bit more tame on their end. I did set this total as a result at a 135.5. I'm diving under. And with Drake, set them as a five-point favorite. We'll lay up to five with them. 631, 632 on the Benning Board, Ohio. It's a face-off against Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois is an underdog of three points. Your total is between 149.5 and 151.5. And with Northern Illinois, I did set them as a underdog of five points. So I'm going to be one to lay it with Ohio. The Bobcats have been a bottom 125 team in terms of defensive efficiency, but you've also got a Northern Illinois team that leaves quite a bit of something to be desired on that front. And for Northern Illinois, it's been rather impressive what we've been seeing recently out of them because their top scorer, Keyshawn Williams, still currently out of the fold. He's been out of the fold ever since January 7th, was averaging about 17.5 points per game. And yet, despite that, this is a Northern Illinois team that they come in hot. They've won four out of their last five games. They've scored at least 73 points in each of those four wins. Defense still leaving a little bit of something to be desired. They have given up at least 76 points in three of their last four games, but they go up against a Ohio bunch that they themselves have had their warts on defense, giving up at least 75 points in three of their last four games. I do think that Jeff Bowles, a very good coach, is going to be able to rectify this a little bit more, and I do think that 
they're going to be looking to Dwight Wilson to really provide them a boost down low. 16 points, 9.5 rebounds per game. This is a Northern Illinois team that you really don't have anyone that gives you north of 5 rebounds per game. Zarek Nutter is a 6-6 combo player that does that. And then you've got David Coit, who out there in the backcourt has been incredible since the Williams injury. He's been able to supply 20-plus points in far of the last five games. And he's been more efficient recently as he's got to combine 8 turnovers in the last five games while supplying 20-plus points in four of them, shooting 37.5% from three-point range. He's really come along for the ride, but... And it's still a Northern Illinois team that they are a little bit limited in terms of their actual depth. They don't have anyone down low in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. They are 258th. And interestingly, for this Northern Illinois team, they're allowing 3.8 points more per one or possessions when they are at home rather than when they are on the road. So a little bit of a strange split there. But for Ohio, you've got a lot of guys that they are able to light it up from three-point range. I do like what A.J. Clayton has been able to provide for this team. Eight and a half points. She's about 33%. From the outside, you got Jalen Hunter, who gives out four assists, one and a half seals, 40% three-point shooter with 11 and a half points per game. And then Miles and A.J. Brown, they've been able to combine for about 21 points per game. They have Mr. Miles Brown shooting about 44% from three-point range. A.J. Brown currently dealing with a little bit of an injury. I'm sort of thinking that he's going to be out of the fold once again after he missed the last game or two for Ohio last week. But even with that, I do think that Ohio could be able to perverse persevere. I do think that they're going to be able to improve a little bit with their defense. I think that Northern Illinois is going to be sullied by the fact that they just don't have anything down low in this circumstance. So, I did set Ohio as a 5-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. And I did set my total at 147. If you look at offensive efficiency, it's been better for Northern Illinois recently, but they're still one of the lesser teams, both in the back and nationally on that front as well. So, diving under, and I'm willing to lay it with Ohio. 633-634. A rare COVID postponed game between Minnesota and Illinois. Hard to believe that it's 2023 and we're seeing one of these. That said, that's the only comment I'll make. We move on. 635, 636 on the betting board. Butler is going to be playing us to St. John's. St. John's is an underdog of one and a half points. Your total is between 144 and 145. With St. John's, I did set them as an underdog of two and a half points. I'm going to be willing to lay it with Butler. It's been a no good run of things recently for both of these teams. And last time these two teams hooked up, St. John's was able to get the win, and they were able to get the win rather convincingly by kind of 77 to 61. I don't think that we're going to be seeing that same game script play out as in that game, St. John's went 8 of 18 from three-point range. He shot 52.5% from the floor. I could see this being sloppy like we saw the first time around. Not quite to the tune of 40 turnovers like we saw between the two teams the first time around, though. Now, the St. John's team that's in the top 30 in terms of total possessions, Brain Butler, just outside the top 200 with this regard. It is a Butler team that is going to need to overcome the fact that Posh Alexander, along with Andre Cabello, do supply about 4.1 seals per game, but neither guy shoots above 27.5% per three. They both give between 9.5 and 10 points per game. Joel Soriano could have the size of Agile now, 15.5 points, 12 boards, but getting Manny Bates back at the fold, very big for this Butler team when they were on their really bad slide and they were just losing games very convincingly. A lot of them came with having Bates out of the fold. He's been able to give the team 11.5 points, 5.5 rebounds. Supplies two blocks per game as well, and for Butler, it's been a no-good run for them recently, but they are coming off of a very good effort against Marquette in which they held them down to 60 points. Uh, I will say this about Butler. 58 points of fear in each of their last five games, but 73 points of fear surrendered in three out of their last five games, so you have to take a look at the positives and the negatives, and 73 points of fear given up in four out of their last six, so very interesting to take a look at because you've got a St. John's team that, on the flip side, they've allowed at least 84 points in three out of their last four games, and 70-plus points in four out of their last five, so it's not been too terrific 
for the St. John's defense. It's not been too terrific for the Butler offense, but I do think that you're going to have the pair of guards in the backcourt and Chuck Harris along Jaden Taylor be able to get things turned around a little bit more. They've been able to combine for 23.7 points, about 7.5 rebounds, and both shoot 35 plus percent from three, and Butler still does shoot 35 percent from three. You've got Simeon Lucasius, four boards, 2.9 assists, 11.5 points, shooting 41 percent from three-point range. Ali Ali, you were expecting him along with the transfer from Georgia State and Jalen Thomas to have a little bit more of an impact, but feels like they're starting to take hold a little bit more, especially Thomas down low, and I do think that Butler going to be able to hold up on Joel Soriano. I think that's going to be a little bit of a sloppier game, but this is the St. John's team that they're an all-or-nothing defense right now, and I do think that they're going to be coming up with a big, giant nothing burger. Meanwhile, Butler, they themselves are a team that in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, right around 130th, but I do think that the home court advantage is going to be able to win the day. I do think that this is going to be coming down to late-game felling, which is going to help out with this total as well, so I set my total at 145.5. I'm going to be willing to take the over, and with Butler, one lay up to two with them, set them as a two-and-a-half point favorite. 637, 638 on the bang board. Air Force plays also Colorado State. Colorado State is a underdog of one to one and a half points with your total between 134 and a half and 135 and a half. Set Air Force as a two point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay the minuscule number here with our good friends Air Force and a big reason why is that Colorado State is right now dealing with a little bit of illness and just a little bit of injury as they're missing a few of their top guys as Jalen Lake did not play in the team's last game. He's someone that's been able to give the team about seven and a half points per game and it's not like Colorado State prior to having all of these injuries had necessarily been playing great basketball. All of the injuries and ailments caused for Baylor Hebb to get a start in Colorado State's last game and he's averaging two and a half points per game. He was really not playing north of I would say about 10 minutes in conference play prior to that and then he had to see unexpectedly 28 minutes. Just not a place where you want to be for Colorado State. Now Colorado State still does have their top end talent. John Jay, Patrick Cartier, they've been able to combine for about 25 and a half points per contest. You've got both of these guys shooting 37 plus percent for three including Cartier. 43 and a half percent for three. Colorado State as a whole. They shoot 35 and a half percent for the outside and they do have Isaiah Stevens. Very efficient with the offense running the show. 18.8 points, 6.6 assists, so 1.9 turnovers per game, Colorado State. They turn the ball over just 11 times per game. They're a rather mid-tempo team. They're more around about 230th in terms of possessions per game. Colorado State, though, just has not played any defense. 273rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They don't generate seals. And for Air Force, we have seen the bottom fallout on them a little bit more in terms of their defense as well. They're back to about 199th in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, giving up 70-plus in four of their last five games. But at the very least, for Air Force, they do have a guy that I like in Jake Heidbrider, who's been able to give you 14 points per game, shooting 36% for three. Air Force, a team that turned the ball over darn near 14 and a half times per game last season. That's down to about 11.7 this season. They don't necessarily do a great job on the glass, as you got Ryan Petretis, who's been able to give you 10 points, five and a half rebounds per game. But I mean, for Colorado State, really, other than John Tone J, you don't get north of five rebounds of darn near anyone on that roster as well. Camden Bender's wide has been able to give you about eight points per game. He shoots just below 40% from three-point range. Ethan Taylor, he's been able to give you eight and a half points per contest. He's shooting 40% from three-point range as well. So I do think that it's going to be very much a backcourt battle in this one. Air Force has done a great job of being able to get their slow, grimy style. They're back in the bottom 30 in terms of total possessions per game. And I do think that the elevation factor at Colorado Springs, Colorado State, the team in the conference, most used to it. I still think that it's going to take a little bit out of them for Colorado State. They have failed to get past 60 points in two out of their last four games. Meanwhile, they've given up at least 80 points 
in four out of their last five. So not great there. I do think that things are going to be a little bit slower. So that lends itself a little bit more to a low scoring game on Air Force's side. And that's why I do think that they are going to be able to get the job done. Said Air Force has a two point favorite at my total 132. So I'm diving under and I'm willing to lay up to one and a half with Air Force. 639, 640 on the betting board. St. Louis is going to be playing us for Rhode Island. Rhode Island, an 11 and a half point underdog with your total between 142 and a half and 143. And with Rhode Island, I did set them as an underdog of 11 and a half points. So we're going to be waiting on a little bit of a line move. I think that I saw an 11 out there a little bit earlier, and if we do get down to an 11 with St. Louis, that is my buy point on them. Meanwhile, 12 or more is going to be my buy point on Rhode Island. It's a Rhode Island team that honestly has not played terrible defense. Just the fact that they have been so anemic on offense has been very costly for them as it's a Rhode Island team that's about 120th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And one thing that you are able to hang your hat on if you're a Rhode Island fan is that they give up 3.7 points per one in possessions fewer when they're in a roadside shoot record environment than they do at home as they've given up 70 points or fewer in four of the last five games. Problem has been, this has been an offense that they just have not been able to get a lot going as they've got two guys in Ishmael Leggett and Brayon Freeman who have been able to combine for 30 and a half points. Leggett gives you six rebounds. They combine for about 5.3 assists, 2.2 seals per game, and they both shoot between 33 and 34% from three-point range. But Rhode Island as a whole, they're a mid-tempo team with 14 after enormous per game, shooting 29.8% from three-point range. Malik Martin is able to give you about seven and a half points, six and a half rebounds, and a seal per contest as well. But you don't necessarily have a ton down low. You're expecting a little bit more out of Alex Dichuku along Joseph Blau. Both of these guys have gotten injured and have just been generally ineffective. Meanwhile, for St. Louis, they should be able to control things down low with Francis Okoro being able to give you 8.5 rebounds per game, but I was expecting a little bit more of the pieces not named Yuri Collins. Collins has been the best facilitator in all of college basketball. 11.5 points, 10.2 assists per game, shooting 35.5% from three, but really the only guy around him that shoots about 35% from three, Gibson Jimerson, 37.5% three-point shooter, 12.5 points per game, but then you've got Javante Perkins, Javon Pickett, Combining for 21 points. Pickett is able to give you five rebounds. They both shoot between 32 and 34% from three. Pickett just has not been able to live up to his billing. Fred Thatch Jr. has dealt with injuries all season long. Jake Forrester is only giving you about four and a half rebounds per game. Not a lot of bodies for St. Louis, but not necessarily a lot of production. And it's a St. Louis team that they've honestly been playing a little bit better on defense recently. They're still outside the top 140 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, but 73 points are fewer surrendered and now five out of their last six games. So they've been a little bit better on that front and for St. Louis they've been better at home giving up 8.7 points fewer per one hundred possessions at home rather than on the road they're clearly the better offensive team they've got the best facilitator in this game which is why I did set my number at 11 half 11 or less willing to lay it with St. Louis 12 or more I'm going to be taking a look at the points with Rhode Island and a little bit of an intriguing spot with the total I set mine at a 143 and a half I do think that there's a possibility that you do get a little bit of late game felling in this spot and it is a St. Louis team that they certainly have been prolific with their offense it's a pair of teams that they're neither really super duper slow or super duper fast for St. Louis, about 120th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. You've got a Rhode Island team that's about 133rd as well. So I'm barely looking at the over here between 142 and 142.5. And, and with St. Louis, one to lay up to 11 with them. 12 or more going to be taking the points with Rhode Island. 641, 642 on the betting board. Kentucky plays host Arkansas. Arkansas is an underdog of four points with your total 140. And with Arkansas, I did set them as an underdog of five points. I'm going to be one to lay with Kentucky. With Kentucky, certainly they've had a tough time being able to find their blend of players just all season long. But what I do know for Kentucky is that they're going to be able to dominate down low with Oscar Sheway. 15.9 points, 
13.6 rebounds per game. He's back in number one in terms of rebounds per game in all of college basketball. And is being able to give the team about a steal and a half per game as well. Coming off of a little bit of a four-point clunker against Florida with his offense, but they didn't need him to score in that game against Florida. They were able to find a way to be able to get the job done despite the fact that he really didn't give them anything on the offensive side of things. And if you took a look at that Florida win in which they just barely were able to get the cover, it was really Kaysom Wallace being able to create a lot of plays for the team. He had 20 points. He went 7-10 from the floor. Jacob Toppin had a double-double as well, and Jacob Toppin I do think is a big X-factor because he's the only guy outside of Shibway that's able to give you north of four rebounds per game. They need a little bit more balance, and Toppin is able to lend that as he's been able to give the team about 11.5.6 rebounds per game, and it's an Arkansas team that they've got a lot of versatility, but with Trayvon Brazil going down, they don't necessarily have a ton of rebounding. You've really got two guys in one of the Mitchell brothers and Makai Mitchell, along with also Anthony Black. They give you north of five rebounds per game. Now, Black has been a stat sheet suffer all season long. 12.5 points, 5.3 rebounds, 4 assists, 1.7 steals per game, but it's also an Arkansas team that they come up snake eyes from three-point range, shooting 30.5% from three. That's in the bottom 50 in all of college basketball. 13.3 turnovers per game for an Arkansas team that just below the top 50 in terms of possessions per game. They've throttled down a little bit just because they don't necessarily have great offensive pieces this season. Meanwhile, you take a look at this Kentucky team, and you'd think with a guy like Oscar Shibway, they'd be just a little bit more efficient than 93rd. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. Arkansas, the one thing that they have been able to get right all season long has been their defense. 14th in the country. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, but buyer beware. They're giving up 19.5 points more per 100 possessions when they're away from Bud Walton Arena. That is a big factor in this game, and it is a little bit of a reason why I did semi-total at a 143, because you do have a guy like a Walls, who I mentioned, who's been able to do a good job of supplying some offense for this Kentucky team. 11.5 points, shooting 41% for three. Xavier Wheeler, he's pretty much fallen out of the fold for the team, but Antonio Reeves, he's had his nice moment, shooting 41% for three, 13 points per contest. I do think that Kentucky going to be able to find a way to get by on offense. Their offense has been better recently, getting to at least 69 points in far of the last five games. Meanwhile, you've got an Arkansas unit that has given up 70 points or fewer in each of the last five games, but I think that this is going to be a nip and tuck game that's going to be coming down to late game felling. You've got an Arkansas team coming off of, it was a win, but a two-point game against South Carolina, so one lay up to four and a half with Kentucky, set them as a five-point favorite, made by total 143. I expect some late game falling here, so also looking at the over, 643-644 on the betting board. It is NC State, they throw it face off against Virginia. Virginia is between a six and a half to a seven-point favorite, and your total on this game is between 135 and a half and 137, and I did set my total at 133 and a half. I'm going to be diving under with Virginia. They continue to play their slow, methodical style. They're not quite dead last in the country, in terms of the total possessions per game, North Texas has really been able to take hold of that moniker as of your 363 D1 teams. Virginia still 358th. It's just been a case where Virginia has been a top 25 offense in terms of efficiency. Meanwhile, a lot of teams have just been able to can shots against them in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. It is a Virginia team that now they have fallen outside of the top 50 there. 51st officially, though I will say a little bit better when they have been at home. They've been giving up right around 12.8 points fewer per 100 possessions at home rather than on the road. And for NC State, it doesn't necessarily sound impressive, but all of a sudden, in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, they're a team that ranks 76th. This is much better than where they've been in past years. And for NC State, they come into this game having given up fewer than 66 points in each other last two games. It's an offense that certainly has been able to get after it. They have scored at least 79 points in three of their last four games. So I do think that things are going to be tamed down a little bit more. I've just always noticed that when Kevin Keats goes up against Virginia, things do get throttled down just a little bit more. And it is an NC State team that has a pair of good go-to scores. Sir Quavian Smith, 
Jarkel Joyner. These two guys have been able to combine for just under 35 points per contest, 8 rebounds, 7.8 assists, 3 steals, and both shoot between 34.5 and 35% from 3. Casey Marcel is more of your bomber at 44% 3-point shooting. They could use a little bit more in terms of depth. Someone like an LJ Thomas would be able to help them out, but Greg Gant has been able to give this team a little bit more down low as he's only been able to supply 2.1 points, but he's been a designated rebounder. 5 rebounds per game. He's been able to give the team a combined 20 rebounds in the last 3 contests, and and chipped in there four seals in the last two games as well. So he's been a nice piece along DJ Turnit up Burns. Meanwhile, for Virginia, you don't have a single guy on the roster that gives you north of 5.1 rebounds per game like Jaden Gardner does, but they do a very good job of rebounding by committee. Ben Vanderplas, along with Armand Franklin, combined for nine rebounds per game. Franklin is your top scorer with 12.5 points, shooting 40% from three-point range of Virginia's whole 9.3 turnovers per game, shooting 38% from three-point range with Kia Clark, Reese Beekman, combining for 11.1 assists per game. That is more than the 9.3 turnovers per game. The entire team commits. So they've been great on that front. They combine as well Beekman and Clark for 21.5 points per contest. I really do like how well-rounded this Virginia team, and I do think that they're going to be able to make a statement on their home floor. It was a little bit of a rough one coming off of that loss to Virginia Tech. It was a little bit of an emotional game, and NC State, I recognize that they come in riding a four-game win streak, but this is still a Virginia team that they've been able to do a pretty rock-solid job on defense prior to that loss to Virginia Tech. They had given up 68 points or fewer in really each other last five games. I do think that they're going to be able to Get their style in this one. I think that they're going to be efficient on offense and do enough to hold down those good NC State shooters. Semi total at 133 and a half, under. And South Virginia as a seven and a half point favorite. So willing to lay the six and a half to seven and taking a look at this total under 645, 646 on the betting board. It is Michigan State playing us in Maryland. Maryland, a two to two and a half point underdog. And your total between 131 and a half and 132 and a half. I set my number at three. I'm going to be willing to lay the small number with Michigan State. Now, credit where credit is due. We have seen Maryland really be able to rise up after it looked like in mid. January slash early January that they were starting to regress 16 and 7 against the spread for Maryland thus far this season as they come in winners of four straight games having about 63 points or fewer in each other the last five games meanwhile you've got a Michigan State team that they have not been able to supply a lot of offense 70 points or fewer in each other the last five games I do think that you're in for a low scoring slog I did set my total at a 128 neither of these teams is necessarily going to be looking to push tempo Michigan State 283rd in the country in terms of total possessions per game Maryland 2-321st and with this Maryland team they've been one of the better teams at being able to guard the three-point arc and all college basketball. They're 45th overall in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, only giving up 1.7 points more per 100 possessions at home rather than on the road. Michigan State, meanwhile, they're 97th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but allowing 13.5 points fewer per 100 possessions at home. And for Michigan State, you've really got a big three. A.J. Hogarth, your main facilitator, 5.7 assists, 12.5 points per game. Meanwhile, Joy Ozer, Ty Walker, they combine to shoot about 40.5% from three, 26.5 points between the two of them. Walker gives you 2.5 assists. And Hauser, your main low-post player, with 7.3 rebounds per game. Walker really is the closer for this team, but we've seen his scoring going to a funk recently. 12 points or fewer in each of his last five games. I do think that he's going to be able to bounce back a little bit more in this spot against a Maryland team that they just have not been able to find their three-point shot. They've been able to get the job done all season long without it, but they've got to shoot better moving forward than 30.9% from three-point range. Jameer Young is someone I really do like. 16 points, 5 boards, 1.3 steals, 3 assists per game. He's able to self sustain and for Maryland, they don't hurt themselves. They shoot 73.5% the free throw line, 11 turnovers per game, but that outside shooting, it is a little bit rough. Julian Reese along Devontae Scott. 
down low. Who have been able to do a nice job combining for 12.7 rebounds per game. Dante Scott gives you 12.5 points. Shoots about 30% for three. Reese doesn't shoot threes. He gives you more around 6.5 points per game. But you could use a little bit more on some of the ancillary pieces. Patrick Mullen from time to time has been able to give you some minutes. Ian Martinez, he's able to shoot 40% from three. Would like to see him become a little bit more demonstrative. But I do think that on their own floor, Michigan State is going to be able to get the job done. They've now got Malik Hall, who's back from injury. When he's been firing on all cylinders, he's able to give you 10 plus points, 5 plus rebounds per game. And I do think that's just a little bit of a tricky spot here for Maryland having to hit the road. So I did set Michigan State as a three point favorite of what I think is going to be a low scoring defensive slog. Also set my total at a 128. So I want to lay the spell number with Michigan State and take a look at the under 647, 648. On the betting board, it is Missouri, and they are going to be playing us to South Carolina. South Carolina, a 15 to a 15 and a half point underdog with your total 147 to 148. And with Missouri, I did set them as a 17 and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Missouri. Certainly a team that lacks defensive efficiency, but you know the worst defense currently in the SEC is, you guess it, South Carolina in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. A ghastly 314th. So while you can poke holes into this Missouri team for their defense, and rightfully so, they're at 206th. At the very least, they aren't South Carolina. G.G. Jackson got into a little bit of controversy over the weekend. I mean, he's been terrific for this team. He scored in double figures in all but three games thus far this season. 15.8 points, six half boards, shooting 33.5% from three-point range. You've got Chico Carter, who's been able to shoot above 45% from three-point range. He's been able to give the South Carolina team right around 10 points per game. And then you got Michi Johnson, four boards, 3.3 assists, 12.5 points per game. But just a broken and just sad South Carolina team. They rank in the bottom one in terms of possessions per game, yet they turn the ball over 13.3 times per game. And for Missouri, I do think that they're going to do a nice job of turning those turnovers into offense. Missouri, the one thing that they do do right on defense is the fact that they do get about 10.5 steals per game. Now, Isaiah Mosley, it looks like he's injured once again. That's not necessarily too terrific for a Missouri team that they really do rely upon depth. Missouri has been slowed down in recent games. They have been playing at about 5.3 possessions per game fewer the last three games than they have for the entirety of the season, but you still have so many pieces for this team. Kobe Brown along to Moy Hoge have been able to combine for about 30.5 points per contest. They combine for 10 rebounds. It is a little bit of an issue that Brown is the only guy on the team that gives you north of 4.1 rebounds per game, but you have so much by committee facilitation as four different guys for this team that includes mostly are able to give you at least two and a half assists per game. It's a Missouri team that they shoot a combined 35 and a half percent from three point range. They've been dealing with a little bit of an injury to Trey Gomillion. I know that Noah Carter has been in the full, but he should be back in for this game as well. But you've got just so much depth with this Missouri team. It's going to take it out of a South Carolina team that's undersized. They're just outgunned, and it's a South Carolina team that you want to talk about sad offense. This team has scored 66 points or fewer in five out of their last six games. I believe six out of their last seven games. It's pretty much all their games ever since that Kentucky win. So it's been rather pathetic there. I do think the Missouri is going to be able to get there. So I do think that South Carolina's a possibility of getting past 65 points just due to the sheer amount of possessions in this game. But I do think that South Carolina is going to be having a little bit of a rough COVID and I'm sensing a little bit of a tempo shift here from Missouri. So I did set my total 145 and a half diving under. I think that South Carolina is going to be swallowed whole by Missouri though. I set Missouri as a 17 and a half point favorite. Going to be willing to lay the number and taking a look at this total under 649, 650 on the betting board. TCU it's a road face off against Kansas State. With Kansas State they're a 4 to 4 and a half point favorite and your total on this game is between 147 and 147 and a half. Seeing straight 3 and a half out there as well but those are starting to dry up with the way that this line is moving we're mostly seeing 4 and a half and at 4 and a half that is my buy point 
on TCU. TCU currently without Mike Miles, and Mike Miles, make no bones about it, he's one of the better players that you're going to find in all of college basketball, but you still have Emmanuel Miller. That is the team's top three-point shooter for a TCU team that legitimately is the bottom 33-point shooting team in all of college basketball. They're only shooting 29.1% from three-point range, but Miller shoots 48.5% for three, 13 points, six half boards, like his overall game, and it's a TCU team that does rank in the top 15 nationally in terms of offensive rebound rate. They do a good job of being able to give themselves second chances, and Damian Baugh has been very efficient with the ball, and just great overall. 12.8 points, 5.2 assists, 1.9 steals per game for a TCU team that they play up-tempo, yet they only turn the ball over about 11.9 times per game. It's a big reason why TCU has been so efficient on offense, even though they shoot it horribly from three-point range. They don't beat themselves. TCU about 55th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. We've seen this Kansas State team really be able to crank up the tempo as well. They're 39th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, but it's a TCU team that I recognize did not have the world's greatest showing against Oklahoma State, but I do think that even without Mike Miles, they're still going to be rock solid on defense. It is a TCU team that ranks 15th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. Meanwhile, for Kansas State, they certainly have been able to have some very good efforts in the Little Apple, but they themselves are right around 38th with this regard for Kansas State. They are giving up about 21.6 points fewer per one arm possessions when they are at home rather than on the road. And you've got your two main headline scorers for the team, Keontae Johnson, Marquis Noel. They're combining for 34.9 points per game. Noel, 7.8 assists, 2.3 steals per game on 36.5% three-point shooting. Johnson shooting 49% from distance with 7.5 rebounds per game. And then Nikwell Tomley has been able to give you about 10.5 points, 5.8 rebounds, a little bit over a steal per game as well. Would like to see perhaps a little bit more out of some like Desi Sills. They've been able to get about 6.5 points per game out of Cam Carter as well, but... By and large, these guys have been able to do what they need to. Eddie Lampkin has dealt with a little bit of ailment, but he's been fine for the CCU team. And even without Mike Miles, it's a TCU team that they've been able to exceed the 70-point plateau in each of their last three games. And those three games were pretty much without him because he got injured in the opening minutes of that Mississippi State game. Meanwhile, you do have a Kansas State team that they're coming off of back-to-back losses. The offense, it's been a little bit hit or miss with them recently, being held at 68 points or fewer in three of their last five games. So it's a good old situation of something's got to give. I do think that TCU is going to be starting to throttle back a little bit more with regards to their offense, and I do think that Kansas State, because they do really rely upon their main two guys, are starting to get figured out offensively as well. I did something I told at 144. I do think that the true strength of this TCU team is their defense. I think that that's going to be what holds them in this game. Semi-tall at 144, diving under, and with TCU, we'll take four and a half or more with them. 651, 652 on the betting board for us. The state is going to be playing against the San Jose State. San Jose State, an underdog of two and a half points with your total between 125 and 126, and with Fresno State, I did set them as a one and a half point underdog. I'm going to be looking at San Jose State outright on the money line rubs me a little bit the wrong way that Eduardo Andre has seen his minutes cut with Isaiah Moore back in the fold. The guy, when Moore was out, was able to put up three straight double-doubles. He was pretty much the reason why they won that UNLV game, and it's just been very strange to see the usage in general, because for Eduardo Andre, you take a look at him, the last three games, he has put up a combined eight rebounds in those contests, after he had those three straight double-doubles, and as a result, Fresno State has went straight down the toilet bowl with regards to both their offense and their defense. It's Fresno State team that ranks in the bottom 25 nationally in terms of total possessions per game. I recognize him more as your top score. 12 points, 7.7 rebounds per game with 34.5% three-point shooting for a core that does shoot just 29.5% from three-point range. But if you're Fresno State and you play that slowly, 
you've got to be a little bit better than you are on defense. 190th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. San Jose State, they're also a slug with regards to their tempo. They're about 225th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, and they certainly have been a little bit rough on the defensive end on the road, giving up 18.2 points more per 100 possessions on the road rather than at home, but with San Jose State, I do like what they've got in Omari Moore. He's going to be the best guard in this game because you've got a Fresno State team that is just so rough with regards to their outside shooting. Meanwhile, you've got a guy in Moore who's able to give you more. 16.4 points, 5 assists, 4.9 rebounds on about 34% three-point shooting as a whole. San Jose State does shoot 34% from three, and you've got a trio of guys. Sage Trollbert, Abrima Diallo throwing there. Robert Vihola, who have been able to do a great job of fitting the glass. It combined about 18 to 18 and a half rebounds per game. Tolbert gives you 9 points. Shoots 39.5% from three. Diallo 1.8 blocks per game, and then Viola about 7.5 points per game. Tibet Gronair is a 6'8 combo player that shoots 36% from three. He chips in their 6 points per game, and with San Jose State, you just have more options than this Fresno State bunch, in which you do have Jamero Baker has been able to give you double figures. Donovan Yap has been in and out of the fold. That has hurt them, and when he has been in, he hasn't necessarily done a lot for this team. Baker, along with Isaiah Hill, have been able to combine for about 6 assists per game, but both of these guys shoot below 30% from 3 point range, and other than Anthony Holland, who shoots 38% from 3, I mean, it's he and Moore that are the only guys on this roster that really shoot above 30% from 3 point range, and that's the way that you've got to beat the San Jose State team. For San Jose State, offense has been a little bit more lively recently. 74 plus points in 3 of their last 4 games. You got a Fresno State team coming off of scoring 82 on the road against UNLV. I don't think that that is going to be lasting. They had scored 62 points or fewer in their previous three games, and if you take the two games out of UNLV out of the fold, it's a bunch that they have scored 64 points or fewer in each out of their last seven games, not against UNLV. So, I do think that that is something to take a look at. I did set my total at 125 and a half. You've got a pair of slugs out there, but I do think that we went perhaps a little bit too low. I'm mostly seeing 125. 125 is a max I'm willing to go around, but I'm willing to go over, but buyer beware there. I'm not willing to go any further, but with San Jose State, I do think that they get the job done. Win from within. I'm taking San Jose State outright on the money line as I set them as a one and a half point favorite to go along with the 125 over. 633, 664 is the last game on the normal board. New Mexico going to be playing us to Nevada. Nevada is between a three and a half and a four point underdog. Your total is one forty nine to one forty nine and a half. I don't think that we're going to be seeing double overtime like we saw the first time around, where it was Nevada getting it done on their own floor by kind of ninety seven and ninety four and. Ever since then, it's been a Nevada team that's been rock solid on defense, giving up 68 points or fewer in the three games ever since then. And if you take a look at what happened during regulation, it was 78-78 to 78 going into overtime. So it's not like it was a bad beat on the over or the under or anything like that. But you take a look at this Nevada team in that first game, Will Baker was able to have 28 points. And I do think that the size of Nevada could affect this New Mexico team a little bit, but for New Mexico, despite that just very, very strange showing, they've been actually a very good defense. We all know the offense, we all know the backcourt with New Mexico, but they're 81st in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and the big reason why is what you get down low out of Maurice Uduze along with Josiah Alec. They combine for 16.7 rebounds per game. Uduze is able to give you 15.5 points per game, and then you do have that backcourt. Jalen Huffs, Lon Jamal Mashburn Jr. These two guys have been able to combine for just under 37 points per game. House, 2.8 steals, 4.7 assists. They both shoot between 39 and 40% from three-point range, and then you got KJ Jenkins. He's able to give you about 8 points. He shoots 
shoots it well from three-point range as well. Flip side for the Savannah team, and you do have Baker, I mentioned a little bit earlier. He's a double-figure scorer that at seven feet tall, he's able to pop threes. The guy that I'm really impressed with, Darian Williams, six foot six freshman. He just does it all. 6.8 points, 7.2 rebounds, 2.7 assists per game for a Nevada team that they do shoot about 34% from three-point range. And for Nevada, the big difference for them is that they've throttled back. They're more around 200th in the country in terms of possessions per 40 minutes. They played some overtime, but they're 83rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and they give up the exact same amount of points per possession when they are on the road rather than when they are at home. So I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of a defense-oriented battle. You do have a New Mexico team that ever since the game that we did see against Nevada, they have given up 73-plus in their two games ever since then. And if you really want to date it back, it is a team that's given up at least 73 points in each other last four games. But I do think that they're going to buckle down a little bit more in this spot with Nevada. Jared Lucas, I do think, is going to keep them lively in this game. He's able to give you 17.5 points, shooting about 38% from three-point range, good in this defense. And then Keenan Blackshear, 4.7 assists, 4.3 rebounds, about 14.5 points per game. But I do think that in the end, the backcourt of New Mexico, along with just the incredible environment of the pit, gets it done for New Mexico, and they get revenge. Set New Mexico as a five-point favorite. Won't delay the number. Set by total at 149. So you're at 149 and a half, diving under. Now let's enter our lone extra game. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. 3-0-6-5-21, 3-0-6-5-22. Delaware State is going to be playing against Chicago State. Chicago State, a three-and-a-half-point underdog. Totals between 133.5 and 134.5. And with Chicago State, made them the five-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this number. It is a Delaware State team that honestly has been looking a little bit more respectable. They come in having won three out of their last four games. I mean, Miak play is not necessarily so terrific, and Chicago State has won four out of their last five, and their lone loss was by seven on the road against Stanford in a travel schedule that has been all over the place. Chicago State certainly leaving something to be desired on defense, but they're the better defensive team in this battle. Delaware State, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, 327th, and for Chicago State, it's not necessarily savory with them, as they're clocking in right in the neighborhood of about 318th, but that's it for Chicago State. They're going to have the best rebounder in this game, and Jay Sean Corbett, 13 points, 9 rebounds. Overall, Chicago State is shooting about 32.5% from three-point range with Bryce Johnson being able to shoot about 40% from three, and the emergence of Johnson is really the reason why the team has been able to run off some of these wins. How about him being able to supply the team with a combined 56 points in the last three games, five steals to go along with it as well. That's in support of Wesley Cardit Jr. along with Elijah Weaver. Cardit, 17 points, 5.1 rebounds, three assists, shooting 34% from three. Weaver, a former top one recruit, 11.8 points, four boards, three assists, seal per game. Chicago State has top end talent, and you don't have that with Delaware State. Delaware State does have Brandon Stone. He's a 6'11 combo player that shoots about 30% from three, 12 points, 5.3 rebounds per game, and then you do get about 10.2 points, 5.1 rebounds out of Martez Robinson. These are the only two guys on the roster that give you north of four rebounds per game, and as a low-tempo team, they turn the ball over 16 times per game. It is really interesting to take a look at these two teams because I mentioned their defensive inefficiencies. It's a Delaware State team that's about 225th in the country in terms of total possessions. Graham Chicago State has been playing at a little bit of a snail's pace, 286th in terms of total possessions per game. So I did set my total as a result at a 132.5. And with Delaware State, they just had a tough time being able to put the ball in the basket all season long. It is a squad that they've been able to exceed the 70-point plateau just twice all season long. Meanwhile, you've got a Chicago State team that has allowed 72 points or fewer in really five out of their last six games. I do think that they're going to do a nice job here. So Chicago State is 5.5-point favorite. Won't delay the number. A Chicago State team that has been 
covering north of 60% of their games this year, by the way. And I'm going to be taking a look at the total under, and that will wrap things up. For the Tuesday edition of Coast to Coast Heaps, now part of the Beeson Family and Podcast, big thanks to Tristan Freeman of Bustin' Brackets for joining me in the last segment. If you do like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Heaps, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at Jane underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters EM they mean does not matter. As per usual, please send these into the timeline and the other ways find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. You're able to fire in whatever you'd like here on this podcast via that five star review coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, which means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can be all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you and you're able to learn more over at BetterHelp.com. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com.